Would you join me now as we pray to the one who turns graves into gardens? Heavenly Father, we bow before you. And Lord, we are overwhelmed by your great love for us. Father, the one who spoke all that we know and see into existence, creating it all from nothing, the grand and glorious King of the universe has come to dwell among us through his Son, Jesus Christ, and now within us through his Holy Spirit. So, Spirit of the living God, we welcome you. Fill this place and fill us with your Spirit as we open the God-breathed Word and study to show ourselves approved unto you, workmen that need not be ashamed. Father, speak to us through your Spirit. We thank you that you've given us the helper to teach us all that we need to know. Would you give us ears this morning to hear what your Spirit is saying? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. I am delighted to be back with you this week looking into our first week's study as we have been looking at John 16, verses 1 through 15. And I'd like to begin by reading that portion of Scripture, and then we'll just kind of walk back through it. And we're going to really focus in this morning on the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. And the Trinity is a lofty concept that's extremely difficult to understand, much less explain. But we're going to look into the Word of God this morning and see how God has revealed himself to us as three in one. Beginning in verse 1. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. They will make you outcasts from the synagogue. But an hour is coming for everyone who kills you to think that he's offering service to God. These things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I have spoken to you so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now... I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. But if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me. For he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. Now, what is Jesus saying? Remember, he is with the disciples. This is the upper room discourse. It is his teaching beginning in John chapter 13 through his prayer in 17 prior to going to the Garden of Gethsemane, his passion, his arrest, his ultimate crucifixion. So we see him here, this manual for living, 
telling the disciples how they are to live after he has gone from them. And what he had just told them in John chapter 15 is that the world was going to hate them, that in the world they were going to have difficulties. And he says, I've told you these things so that you won't stumble. What does that mean? To stumble literally means to fall away. Um, he did not want them to fall away, to become discouraged, but to understand they were not going to fit into the world. I know as a believer, you know, we don't fit into this world. We don't fit into the world's value system. We don't fit into the, the things that the world desires. Our desires are different. Our focus is different. We are focusing on the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of this world. So we understand that we're not going to fit in. And it helps to know that, does it not? It helps to know we're not going to fit in here. That it isn't just me. It isn't just you. All believers, once the Spirit Holy Spirit comes to live within us, we no longer feel at home in this world. We long for our true home in his presence. So Jesus was warning them. In fact, in Matthew Henry's commentary, he says, he gives them a reason why he alarmed them thus with the expectation of trouble. These things I have spoken to you that you should not be offended or scandalized, that you should not stumble or fall away or give up. The disciples of Christ are apt to be offended at the cross, and the offense of the cross is a dangerous temptation, even to good men, to turn back from the ways of God or turn aside out of them or drive on heavenly in them to quit either their integrity or their comfort. So he's saying, don't give up your integrity, don't give up your faithfulness and your focus on Christ for your comfort. Don't long comfort. Understand that in this world, you will have tribulation, but we can be of good cheer because Christ has overcome the world. And because he has overcome the world, his spirit in us is able to overcome as well. Matthew Henry went on to say they were big with hopes of their master's external kingdom and glory and that they should shine and reign with him. Remember, they still were looking for a political kingdom on this earth. And now instead of that, to hear of nothing but bonds and afflictions, this filled them with sorrow. Nothing is a greater prejudice to our joy in God than the love of the world and the sorrow of the world, the consequence of it. They were also thinking about the words he was saying that he was leaving them. They had just spent a little over three years with him, day and night, being discipled by Jesus Christ himself. And so the thought of him leaving them, even though he's telling them, it's going to be better for you if I go, because I've been here dwelling among you, but I'm going to send the Spirit who will indwell you, who will literally live within you. And he even went on to say, you're going to do greater things than I have done. How can that be? greater in magnitude because his spirit in us will literally be everywhere, all around the world, living through his redeemed humanity. So who is the Holy Spirit? I feel like we, we focus quite often on the Father and what it means to be loved by God the Father and obviously on Jesus Christ as we study the Gospels. And so often I think we, we have two errors in the study of the Holy Spirit. We either go too far in spirit or too far in truth without having the balance of spirit and truth. We don't want to be out of control sometimes. Sometimes we're afraid to let go and give ourselves fully and completely to the Holy Spirit, whether it's individually or corporately as a body of Christ. But it is time for us to surrender, to fully surrender to the Lord, because it is only then, as we fully surrender to him, that we experience that true filling and overflow of the Holy Spirit that God intends. So who is the Holy Spirit? He is the third person of the Godhead. Now I want us to see that from the very beginning, we have seen 
that we have seen God reveal himself as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So take your Bibles and let's turn to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, and let's look at verses 1 and 2. It says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then in verse 3 it says, Then God said. Now we see God the Father as the Creator. We see the Holy Spirit hovering over the deep. And then in verse 3, God said. And what did we read at the beginning of our study of John? In John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, I, re I realize the word Trinity is not in the Bible, <laughs> but obviously the teaching of it is. It's just the word we have given to understand a Trinitarian God, a God who is three in one. And he has revealed himself from the very beginning at creation. He also revealed himself at Christ's baptism, and we read that as well. What did it tell us? That the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and then those who were there heard the Father speak, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. John the Baptist even proclaimed, this is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. So we have the witness of the Trinity at Christ's baptism. We also have the witness of the Trinity in the Great Commission. When Jesus was giving us our marching orders before he left, what did he say? Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I've commanded you, and lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So what does he tell us here? Baptize them in what? The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what is baptism but a picture of us identifying with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, sealed by his Holy Spirit. And then in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, there's actually a Trinitarian blessing that closes that chapter. And I'm going to turn to that. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Isn't that beautiful? A beautiful Trinitarian blessing. So we see all through scripture and if you get into Revelation you see it once again as well. The Holy Spirit is speaking, Jesus is present, God the Father is revealing to them what's going to happen in the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we see from Genesis to Revelation God is three and one. It's difficult for us finite human beings who are bound by time to comprehend a God who can speak all that we see into creation, who can speak things into existence that did not exist before. The God, the king of the universe, it is hard for us to grasp him being unbound by time and yet entering time through his son Jesus Christ to experience life as we do yet without sin so that he could take our place and bear the curse of our sin in his body on Calvary. So we, we can't grasp that. It's so difficult. But if we could have a God that we could grasp, finite beings, I mean, I often think of myself in the universe as like an ant. 
We have a mailbox that ants love. Any of you ever have this issue when it rains and your mailbox gets filled with ants? <laughs> they always get in our mailbox. And so we spray it to get them out of there because they get all over our mail and they get all over you. Um, to get rid of these little ants, they're teeny tiny. But when I think about myself in light of the God of the universe, as expansive as it is, I often think of myself as a little ant, a speck in the universe. And yet God in his grace and mercy, loves every one of us and is intimately involved in our lives. And he hears our prayers. And not only does he hear, he leans over to listen when his children cry out to him. He's brought us close as children of God through his Holy Spirit that we get to experience through salvation in Christ. And we can have an intimate relationship with this great God. That is overwhelming. That is so difficult for our mind to grasp, but we receive it by grace through faith just as we receive salvation because we know that God is true, that his word is true, that it never returns void, that every promise of God has been fulfilled except for those that deal with the end times and we're waiting on those to unfold. We stand on the very promises that God has given us in his word. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit has been given to us a helper. And we read it in John 16, where Jesus said, um, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not, if I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So helper, the Greek word is paraclete or parakletos. And it literally means a legal assistant, an advocate, one who helps by consoling, encouraging, or mediating on behalf of. Is that not exactly what he does? He's our counselor. He's our teacher. He's our helper. He's the one who comes alongside us, lives within us to empower us to live the Christian life, to live different. Now let's think about a biblical example of somebody who was transformed after the Holy Spirit come, came to live within him. Peter. I feel like sometimes we pick on him, but he was always putting himself right out front. You know, he was just always the one ready to jump in, to step out. He was impulsive. He was brash. And he was the one who said, Jesus, I'll follow you even to death. And what did the Lord say to him? Peter, before the day's over, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. Well, we know that's exactly what happened. So think about Peter before the Holy Spirit. Impulsive operating out of his own personality, out of his own flesh. And when Christ is arrested, he follows at a distance. He's warming himself at the world's fire. And the focus is not on him. They're there for Christ's trial. And yet when just a slave girl says, whoa, wait a minute, aren't you one of his followers? Aren't you one of the disciples? What does he do? No, 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 three times. And Luke tells us after the third denial that Christ actually turned and made eye contact with Jesus. And he left and he wept bitterly, feeling as though he could not come back after denying the Lord. He went back to fishing. He went back to all that he knew to do. And it was in one of the post-resurrection appearances of Christ that Jesus tenderly restores him to ministry. And he asks him three different times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me more than these? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. And each time he says, tend my sheep, feed my sheep. He was recommissioning him to ministry. Well, Peter's one of the ones there in the upper room in Acts chapter 2 when God pours out the Holy Spirit 10 days after the ascension or the, after Pentecost. They're still, in, they're still there waiting on the Holy Spirit, having been meeting and praying and doing exactly what Jesus had told them to do as they waited. And they're there at Pentecost and the Holy Spirit is 
poured out upon them and he appears above them like individual flames of fire showing them the God of the Old Testament was now manifesting his presence within them individually and they were filled with boldness and they began proclaiming the gospel and the languages and the dialects of everybody who was there for Pentecost. Everyone who had come and had gathered to worship, they were all hearing the gospel and Peter is the one who volunteers, the one who had denied him, steps up to preach a sermon that pricks the heart of the people and 3,000 are converted and baptized. 3,000 people saved in one day. And in Acts chapter 4 and 5, it's Peter and John who go up to the temple to pray and they see the lame man and they, the faith of God takes over and he's begging and what do they say? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. The lame man is healed and boy, that caused a ruckus in the temple and then the religious leaders hear it. So they call Peter and John in and they put them in the center of all these Jewish leaders and now the focus is on Peter and you wonder, will he deny the Lord? No. He's filled, with, he's filled with boldness and power. He has been transformed by the spirit of the living God. The Holy Spirit has come upon him and he preaches and he tells them, this Jesus you crucified and he is the only way. He is the only way to God the Father. He's the only mediator between God and man. With great boldness and evangelistic fervor, he preaches the gospel. They're commanded not to speak again in the name of Jesus Christ. And how do they respond? Hey, it's up to you. You can tell us whatever you want, but as for us, we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. They don't promise to stop speaking. They say we cannot. We're compelled to speak of what we've seen and heard. So Peter is completely transformed. Now, I want us to think about ourselves for just a moment. We have that same spirit living within us. We have the spirit of Christ, the spirit he told us he would send, who would be our helper, who would empower us, who would teach us, who would comfort us, who would counsel us. He lives within our physical bodies. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it tells us as Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, he says, you've got the spirit of of God, not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who knows the very thoughts of God living within you. And he goes on to say the natural man, the lost person, cannot understand the things of the spirit because they are spiritually appraised. So without the spirit of God, you can't understand the word of God. We know that all scripture is inspired by God. It is God-breathed and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work, the good works that he's called us to because we belong to him, the good works that advance the kingdom of God. But he goes right on in to 1 Corinthians chapters 3 and he tells them that some of them are not living as spiritual beings. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1 it says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not living like mere women, mere men or women? He says, you're just living bound in the flesh. There's nothing supernatural about your life. You're not living the set-apart life. You're living carnally. What's the evidence of it? Strife and jealousy. If there's strife and jealousy, it's evidence that we have slipped back into the flesh and we're defending our rights and we're being offended and we're making demands. I deserve. I deserve. That's not fair. 
Those are signs of the flesh. Those are signs that we're not living in the spirit. Because to live in the spirit is to live for another kingdom. To live in the spirit is to live the crucified life, which we'll look at in just a moment. So we are given the Holy Spirit as our helper, as our defender, as our counselor, as our teacher, and we should live different. We should be transformed because of the Spirit of Christ who's come to dwell within us. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, he's the giver of gifts. And I've given you quite a few scriptures on your handout that you can look at and follow along. Maybe you've got questions about some of these things. Obviously, we don't have time to look at all of them this morning, but I wanted you to have these resources to see all that we have because we have the Spirit of the living God living within us. Once you're saved, you're also gifted. 1 Corinthians um, chapter 12 and Romans 12 both tell us about how we are part of the body of Christ. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 12, it tells us that he gives us gifts as he wills. The Lord gives us gifts. He gifts us. And we have a tendency to look at some of the more um, apparent, the more upfront gifts sometimes and think, well, maybe I'm not gifted as much as she is, or I'm not as impactful for the kingdom as this person is. But as you know, as a body, every body part is crucial for your body functioning and being healthy and whole. So every body part, every gift is important, and we're to be operating in that giftedness in the place where God has placed us. Because he says very clearly that he gifts us as he wills, and he places us in the body. So if you're a part of the body of Christ, a local church body, you've been gifted. And you need to be operating in that gift and serving in that gift somewhere in that body and also outside the body, bringing other people to Jesus Christ. But what did he say? When he gives us the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. But the Holy Spirit will also convict others because of his presence in us of sin and righteousness and judgment, sin that they didn't believe righteousness that we are now the very righteousness of God in Christ and judgment that the the evil one has already been judged and we will see it one day Revelation 20 tells us when he's cast into the lake of fire so we have the Holy Spirit and he has gifted us to fit into the body so that means God has a purpose and a plan for your life a specific purpose he has things for you to fulfill that the person sitting next to you will not fulfill that they're not called to do. And sometimes we think everybody should be as passionate as I am about the thing that I'm called to do. But no, they're passionate about the thing God's called them to do. And when all of us are doing what it is God has called us to do, the body is healthy and vibrant and a lost world looks and sees our love for one another, our love for the Lord, our desire to go out and serve, and they are drawn to the light of Christ in us. So we have to be operating in that giftedness, surrendered to the Lord, only wanting commendation from him, not from mankind. We don't do it to be noticed by others. And then what is God's command in Ephesians 5? Be filled with the Spirit. It's a command. It's an imperative. We are told to be filled with the Spirit. Now let's turn to, go, um, to Ephesians chapter 5. And I want us to look at this passage of Scripture. Let's um, actually begin at verse uh, 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, 
but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. So he's commanding us, and we've looked at this passage before. It's one that's very familiar to us. But something hit me the other day. I mean, I've always seen the contrast. Obviously, if somebody's drunk, they're under the influence of the alcohol. And if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So he's contrasting these very obvious influences and saying, don't do this one, do this. Ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. But what hit me the other day was the drunk person doesn't stay drunk. They have to keep drinking to stay drunk, right? The person who's filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't stay filled. We have to continually ask for that filling, and that's literally what this passage is saying. Be filled, and it's a command to keep being filled. So when we are saved, we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Our spirit that has been dead because of sin is brought to life. That's what the word regeneration means. And the Spirit of God comes to dwell within our spirit, and we are sealed, the Bible tells us, for the day of redemption. But we also are commanded to be filled. And what it literally means, in fact, one of my favorite books about the Spirit-filled life is The Release of the Spirit by Watchman Nee. And he says, we have the Spirit. The problem is he's bound inside. (laughs) We're still operating in the flesh. But for the Spirit to break forth, we have to crucify the flesh, Galatians 2.20, so that Christ is living in us and the Spirit literally flows forth from us. So we're wanting the Spirit to take over our physical body, our minds, and to be the the force that drives us, that guides us, that leads us, that Galatians 5 talks about, that we're to be led by the Spirit, that we're to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. That's what we are called to do. So it's a constant filling. So every day when I pray, I I typically begin my prayer time with um, Romans 12, 1, presenting my body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is our spiritual service of worship. And I tell the Lord, Lord, I want to lay everything on the altar. And then the next thing I ask him is to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Because I know, based on 1 Corinthians 2, I can't understand things that are spiritually appraised apart from the Spirit. So if I'm going to read God's Word, and I want to be able to understand it, I want him to reveal himself to me in his Word, I've got to have the Spirit of God guiding me and teaching me. So I surrender, I put it on the altar, and then I ask for the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I receive it the same way I receive salvation. By grace through faith, by believing. He has told us to do it. He has given us the Holy Spirit. So all we have to do is ask, and he will, he will fill us with his Holy Spirit. But it's a moment of surrender. It's a moment of putting on the altar so that his Spirit takes over, and I'm not operating in the flesh or thinking and leaning on my own understanding. You know, there were also told in the New Testament not to quench the Holy Spirit or to grieve the Holy Spirit. And both of those Scripture verses are right in the midst of verses that have to do with how we live our lives, but especially how we speak. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says that we are to um, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks for this is God's will for you. Do not quench the Spirit. So it shows us that if we're focused on the flesh and we're noticing an offense and we're being critical or negative, murmuring and complaining like the Israelites in the wilderness, We quench the Holy Spirit because those who are walking in the Spirit, those who know their God are overwhelmed by his grace and mercy and we will be rejoicing always. And to pray without ceasing is simply going through your day 
in constant communion with him. And even when you're talking to someone else, you can be internally communing with the Spirit and asking God to give you wisdom even as you talk, to guard you and guide you as you interact with other people, to grant you divine appointments. We had a guy that came yesterday. In fact, I had a kind of funny moment yesterday, funny in hindsight. Well, chaotic when you're in the midst of it. Um, my father ended up in the hospital yesterday, and I was talking to someone in the hospital, patient advocate, trying to get my sister in to stay with him because he had a blood clot. They were able to remove it, so if you would pray for him, I would appreciate that. We, we're so grateful that the Lord intervened and the blood clot went to his arm, not someplace else. Um, but we wanted somebody in there with him, um, and so we were, was talking to a patient advocate. At the same time, the guy from Xfinity rang the doorbell to come in. At the same time, the guy who'd been working on something in the backyard needed to talk to me, and he was at the back door, and my daughter Allie was there with her four kids kids and Bethany's two were there because she was gone to the dentist so just picture that <laughs> so I'm on the phone with the hospital I'm opening the front door for the, the Xfinity guy but when he got ready to leave in the midst of all that chaos I walked outside with him and I asked him if there was any way I could pray for him and I said you know I don't want anybody to come into our home that I don't mention the name of Jesus to and that I don't ask if I can pray for you and so he said you know what I have a 14 month old daughter and I would love for you to pray for her and so I prayed for him and I prayed for his wife and I prayed for his precious 14 month old daughter and I prayed for her by name and I prayed Luke 252 for her that she would grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and her fellow man that she would come to know the Lord at an early age and she would give his her life to him and I prayed God's blessing upon him and his marriage and upon his when he goes to work that God would just bless him and give him wisdom even that he would know how to solve problems because that's what he's doing he's going into people's homes who have issues or establishing service and so I prayed that God would just grant him favor and when I finished he was visibly moved and he said I can't tell you what you just did for me he said thank you so much now I say that to say that was the prompting of the Holy Spirit that was not Donna Gaines in the midst of all the chaos in my house that said wait let me pray for you I didn't think about that the Holy Spirit reminded me that Steve and I have made a commitment not to let anybody come into our home that we don't try to share Christ with or pray for. And it was the Holy Spirit that did that. That's what I'm saying. The Holy Spirit will enable us to do things that we wouldn't even think to do, that we wouldn't have the power to do, because he lives within us. But we have to be aware of his presence. We have to be sensitive to him. And that's why it takes every day submitting. That's what Jesus said to his followers in Luke 9, 23. If you want to come after me, You've got to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. So it's a daily dying to the flesh, a daily taking up our cross and following Jesus Christ. So we don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. And I love this Andrew Murray quote. A living obedience is indispensable to the full experience of the indwelling. The full experience of the indwelling is what a loving obedience may claim. So obedience and blessing, obedience and the fullness of the Spirit go hand in hand. We have to obey the Word of God, ask God to fill us with His Holy Spirit, and then He does. And you better believe the God who spoke at creation, the God who spoke this Word through prophets and those who wrote the Word of God, you better believe that this God still speaks. He spoke through Jesus Christ when he was on this earth. He's given us the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. He is still speaking to us. And we need to have ears to hear, as Jesus said so many times, what the Spirit is saying. And then instant obedience, instant obedience to whatever the Holy Spirit prompts us to do. And then he will bear the fruit in our lives. He bears that fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And if that doesn't depict our lives, and let me just tell you, it doesn't always 
depict mine, but that is my desire, that his spirit would be so evident in my life that the fruit of the spirit, which only he can produce when we surrender so that he takes over and we're not blocking that flow of the spirit, so that he produces that beautiful bounty of fruit in our lives, which makes people recognize that's not Donna. She's a firstborn type A, (laughs) run over somebody to get what she wants, person. If she is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that's got to be the Holy Spirit. And that is my desire because I know my tendency. And I know that every day I have to die to my own rebellious way of thinking and living. And every day I surrender to the Holy Spirit so that he can take over and bear fruit in my life so that I can live the Spirit-filled life. That's what we're called to live. We're called to live the Spirit-filled life. A life that cannot be explained in the natural, where there is answered prayer, where God grants divine appointments, where he answers and does things and calls us to missions and to ministries that there's no way we could accomplish on our own, but he goes before us and he opens doors and he provides resources and he brings people alongside us to fulfill the mission. And then we stand back and get to say, look what the Lord has done. Because truly, We don't receive the glory. We recognize it is obvious. There's no way we could have accomplished this, whether it's an individual or a corporate church body of Christ. When you're seeing God moving, it points us all to him. We fix our eyes on Jesus. We know that he's the only reason anything good ever happens because there's nothing good in us. We are a trichotomy created in the image of God. And God is three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are spirit, soul, and body. And God comes to dwell in our spirit man, our innermost being. Where did he dwell in the Old Testament tabernacle? And then later in the temple, in the innermost part, the Holy of Holies. There were three parts to the tabernacle, the outer court, the inner court, and the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, and that's where the Spirit of God, the Shekinah glory of God, dwelt. That same Spirit now indwells us without consuming us because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That same Shekinah glory indwells us. Is he evident in our lives? Do other people see him? Or are we just valuing and trying to be what the world values. In his book, The Release of the Spirit, Watchman Nee talks about that, and he says, you know, we're earthen jars. The treasure's actually on the inside. The treasure is the Spirit of God within us. And this is what he said, strange to say, many are still treasuring the alabaster box, thinking that its value exceeds that of the ointment. Many think that their outward man is more precious than their inward man. However, We're not antique collectors. We're not vase admirers. We are those who desire to smell only the fragrance of the ointment. Without the breaking of the outward, the inward will not come forth. Thus, individually, we have no flowing out, but also the church has no living way. Why then should we hold ourselves as so precious if our outward contains instead of releases the fragrance? So the treasure is in the earthen vessel, But if the earthen earthen vessel is not broken, who can see the treasure within? The treasure within me and the treasure within you, if you're in Christ Jesus, is his spirit within us. And so we have to break the outer man 
Sometimes it takes a trial or tribulation for us to come to the end of ourselves. It's so much easier if we just surrender and lay ourselves on the altar. All of our dreams, all of our desires, all of the things that we thought we needed for worldly success. When we lay those on the altar, we find that Jesus Christ himself, through his spirit and through his word, will meet our deepest needs for intimacy and for purpose. And when he fills us and meets our deepest needs, we're able to live from that innermost place. We're able to surrender to his spirit and let his spirit take over. And then our lives point to Jesus. Because did you notice what the Lord said? He said, I'm sending you the helper and he's going to give you what I give you and he will point to me. Because his spirit lives within us, we will be pointing to Jesus as well. If you're a believer, you've received the Holy Spirit. The moment you cried out to him and asked him for salvation, he brought your spirit to life and he came to indwell you. Now ask him to fill you, to release his spirit within you, that you might be used to bring glory and honor to his name, and that you might draw other people to salvation, to hear the gospel, and to be set free. Because that's what his spirit does. Jesus said you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Do you want to be free from the bondage of sin and death? If you don't know Jesus, turn to him right now. Cry out to him in faith and ask him to save you. The Bible says if you will call on him, if you will cry out to him, he will answer and he will save you. He will come in and indwell your physical body. He will write your name in the Lamb's book of life. And you will be filled with power that will set you free so that you can live your life with your eyes focused on him bringing glory and honor to Jesus until you see him one day face to face and get to experience all that he has prepared for us. The Bible tells us, I has not seen nor has ear heard all that God has prepared for those who love him. I'd like to pray with you. And if you're a believer, I want you to just surrender whatever it is you've been holding on to, <laughs> whatever it is you haven't fully laid on the altar. I want to encourage you right now, as the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, maybe it's a troubled marriage, maybe it's a prodigal child, maybe it's that you're lonely, you're single and you've been asking God for a mate, maybe it's a financial stress, whatever it is you're holding on to that you're trying to fix, I'm asking you this morning to give it to Jesus, to surrender to his spirit and ask him to take over. And we're gonna ask him to Ephesians 3.20 it, to do exceeding abundantly beyond all we could begin to ask or imagine according to his power that dwells within you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your spirit. We thank you that you did not leave us as orphans, but you gave us your spirit to help us to encourage us, to instruct us, to teach us, to counsel us, to comfort us. And so, Father, for every believer this morning who is surrendering to you right now, 
whatever it is they've been trying to fix, whatever it is they've been holding on to, whatever it is, Father, has had them in such angst. I'm asking that right now they would surrender it to you. They would roll that burden over onto you. And Father, I pray that each one of us would surrender fresh and anew to you, laying ourselves on the altar and asking you, Spirit of the living God, fill me. Fill me to overflowing. Jesus said rivers of living water would flow forth from our innermost being. So, Father, would you loose your spirit within us? And would you go before us? And, Father, would you, Ephesians 3.20, every request, everything that's being lifted up to you right now, Father, every situation that seems hopeless, I'm asking you to breathe into it, Spirit of the living God, and breathe hope into that situation and that circumstance. And, Father, we're asking you to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can begin to ask or imagine. And we ask it according to your power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And it's in his precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you.